Hello, my fellow sovereigns. I am so excited to be here with you today on this episode. I know you are going to gobble it up with this guest that I have on because like me, you are an absolute nerd as personal development junkie and are obsessed with mindset and performance. And so when this mindset and performance coach reached out to me to be on this show, I actually did a session with him so that I could use the Nobel-nominated Mind Scan. So let me tell you a bit more about Jared, and then I will share with you my own personal experience of this uh, of this scan. So Jared is a mindset and performance coach. He helps business owners double their revenue and think at a higher level using this Nobel-nominated scan. So obviously, I'm interested in any tool or resource that can help improve performance and a test that can see the blind spots was very appealing to me. So I took it and when I saw it and had my session with Jared, I found out that one of my greatest strengths, which is empathy, was actually being muted, that I was actually dulling it down for the sake of performance. And that was such an interesting conversation to have to dive into the unwiring and the unwiring of that that doer's sort of mentality and instead get back into the space of the feeler and the connector. And from that session, I had such a breakthrough just after learning more about my own mindset and seeing where I could improve in using this natural skill set that also was going up against my own blind spot of the the basically the character structure of the doer. So I know we have a lot of doers on this <laughs> who listen to this show. Um, the people who are very good at being busy, at doing and taking action. But after my session with Jared, I really looked at the things that I was doing in my life and in my business, and I did allow for that session to transform some of the action steps that I was taking. And literally, probably about two two months after, I closed my biggest client yet, and all because I was tapping into more of feeling rather than doing. Now, that was one of my blind spots. So I encourage you to listen to this episode, absorb what Jared has to say, and take the mind scan. Enjoy the process, enjoy the experience. And in this episode, Jared also dives into, without using the mind scan, ways to up-level those blind spots and areas that you have in your life currently. And we all have them. I mean, if you think of the most elite football player, like the Tom Brady's, even when they're on the field, they still have their blind side. They still have the the spots that they don't see that a coach sees because a coach is able to see the whole playing field. And Jared in this episode goes additionally into the four C's of what you need to eliminate those blind spots. And some may feel like a catch-22, But if you choose to level up your skill set and operate with courage, 
you can actually eliminate some of these blind spots and really take your life to the next level. So with that being said, I am so excited to bring you Jared from Mindset Performance Coaching so you can level up your skill set. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys and babies. Let's make it rain. Jared, welcome to the princess and the bee. Buzz, buzz. Happy to be buzz. here. <laughs> buzz, buzz. So how did you come across the mind scan and that that work and how did you incorporate that into your coaching yep uh so at the time i was a classically trained musician principal viola with the south carolina philharmonic um and i was giving a series of talks on the musical secrets so the musical secrets of leadership the musical secrets of language or productivity um, and the reason is when you are involved creating music, even if you're just singing to the radio while you're driving down the road, you are using more different parts of your brain than any other activity. This is a sharp contrast with athletic behavior where the better your body performs, the less of your brain you're using. It enters a quiet meditative state. This doesn't mean that music is better for your brain than athletics. They both serve a good purpose. What it does mean though, is if you could access different parts of your brain on demand, boy, it would sure open up some new avenues for opportunity in growth and development in your life. So at the time, that's what I was doing, but I was missing one piece, which was a clear map of where you were starting so that you could see the path to where you wanted to go. And I was at a conference and a guy said, hey, have you heard of the work of Robert Hartman? I was like, no. And he introduced me to the work of Robert Hartman. And it was like the missing link. Uh, because it's ability to map out your thinking patterns and you're able to see the blind spot that's tripping you up. You're able to see the breakthrough that's waiting for you. Um, and so since then, it has just been full-time uh, taking people through a set of exercises called mindset push-ups that physically rewire the way their brain solves problems. Um, I guess that's a little bit about how I got started and how I was introduced to that work. So how did you, how did you shift from, from music into coaching? Uh, music had kind of run its course. Um, so at the tail end of music, I was speaking in conferences and teaching workshops and doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, I was kind of already doing that work, but when the mind scan came into my world, it sort of made it possible to do that work in a more powerful, meaningful way. Uh, because anytime somebody hits an obstacle in their life, if there's a frustration with a relationship or a frustration with their to-do list. It seems like they always have more on it than they have time to get done. Whatever the frustration is, it's not because that person isn't working hard. It's not because they're not trying. It just means there's something about that, that their mind hasn't seen yet. It's like a blind spot in the way their mind solves problems. And this doesn't mean like they're bad people. 
the fact that we have minds means we have blind spots. It's like owning a car. If you have a car, your car has blind spots. That's just part of having a car. So no matter whether you have a Jag or a Ford or a Maserati, yes. it's going to have some blind spots. You can have a convertible and still have blind spots. That's just the nature of reality. So having minds means we have blind spots, which means we have ways of thinking that make a lot of sense to us. And because they make so much sense to us, we can't see why it's actually the reason we keep hitting that hurdle. Um, so this process that Robert Hartman developed by mapping out your thinking patterns allows you to see where the breakthrough is. Um, so the transition was kind of already there, just waiting to happen. Um, and I'm very thankful to have been introduced to his work. So there's a lot of personality tests that are used. And you, when we, when we went over the mind scan, you were very clear that the mind scan is not a personality test. How is it, how is it different than other personal, than like other than traditional personality tests? versus what the mind scan does and yeah, what it Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, some people hear uh, mind scan and they think like medical assessment, it's not a medical device. Um, on the other hand, some people hear mind scan and they think uh, personality profile and it's not a personality profile. So um, if you could think about the, the situation that you're in that's not working for you, don't have enough time, don't have enough money, don't have the right kind of relationship, whatever it is, and realize that you're already doing everything you know to do. If there's something else you could do, you'd be doing it. Realize that everything you're doing seems like a good idea. It makes sense to you. And also what that means is your breakthrough will at first seem like a bad idea because if it made sense, you'd already be doing it. And here's the thing with personality profiles that most people think of like DISC or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or Strength Finders. Um, those types of assessments they tend to provide a, like a personality and a population comparison. You have these traits and 25% of the population also has these traits. So it's, it's very affirming. You're like, okay, I'm not crazy. Or if I am crazy, 25% of the population is crazy just like I am. And, and so you get this wonderful feeling of being right. And here's what that is like. Um, it's like going to the doctor and the doctor's saying, you have this condition duh, you already know that. And then the doctor's saying, we have a 25% success rate treating it. And at that point you realize it's not helpful information because we want to know what side of that 25% line you are on. And at that point you realize having the label, I am like this and having the population of people that you're like, isn't as fun as it was looking to be. You, you no longer want to be right. You just want to know what side of the line you're on so you can get out of that mess. And that's what this process does differently because it doesn't give you a label. Your thinking patterns are as unique as you are. Um, it doesn't compare you to the population because again, they are as unique as you are. And it isn't um, this box that you're in. You have these traits. And so because of that, the way it maps out your thinking patterns, we're able to see exactly for you, the individual, where your blind spot is, where your breakthrough is, where your opportunity is for growth. That's one thing. Another I mean, thing for me with what you highlighted, one of the assets, like one of my greatest assets ended up being something that I was completely disregarding. And I find that found that absolutely fascinating. And then when I shared that with my husband, I was like, oh, did you know this? And, and do I tend to do this? He's like, oh my God, <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, I'm, 
I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. I like, I didn't, I didn't realize that, but it was, it was that blind spot that I was valuing action sometimes over empathy. And had I, had I not had the mind scan, I would not have seen that, that parallel. Like it was really interesting evidence to have in front of me, um, to be able to have that awareness of, oh, this has been one of my blind spots. So how can I actively work on shifting this? And it was, that was a really big breakthrough for me. It, it's a weird experience. Um, I'll, I don't know, so many things we could talk about that. Um, golly, uh, it's another aspect though, that is different from DISC, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, that kind of thing, is that those are question-based. Uh, when you go to a party, do you go to the punch bowl or do you shake the first hand you meet? And because they're question-based, your subconscious is gaming the system. It's trying to predict why are they asking me this? What information are they really looking for? And it's trying to paint a picture. Um, I see myself as this. So because of that, I should answer the question this way, which leads us to self-reporting error. And that's like going to the doctor. The doctor walks into your patient room holding somebody else's test results. Um, that's the problem with self-reporting error. Um, this process and the reason it's Nobel nominated is because it's not questionnaire based. There's no gaming of the system. So the map that it creates is literally the way your brain solves problems, which makes it more accurate, but also more useful. Now we can see for you personally what to do today to create more free time in your specific situation. I, I, I love it. Yeah, I find it absolutely fascinating. And now in, in the mind scan, in the actual test, what I found interesting, because it doesn't have that question-based um, uh, sort of reporting aspect, and it's more of these statements, and you organize the statements. Um, and I was curious as to how, how that works, like, and, and how moving these statements around really really works to, to map out the mind. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. So, um, like, see, see here, it, you are moving your values around what is more good for you. What is more bad for you? Um, on, on a simple level, like if you were to arrange these two statements and put the one that is more good in the world on top, what is more good, a baby or a technical improvement? Well, some people say the technical improvement, because we know that good has happened and we don't know yet what the will become of the baby as it grows and develops. Um, other people say, well, the baby is more good because that is infinite worth of human life. It, it cannot be measured. It's like asking what's the marital status of the number seven? Like it just doesn't go together. You can't measure that it's infinite worth. And so the baby is more good in the world than a technical improvement. Um, so on that scale, we can see that when your brain is making decisions in the world, it's either making decisions based on results or based on people. Like it, it has a tendency to prioritize one more or the other. Now imagine if we stacked 18 of those, then it just becomes more and more refined and granular as to how your mind solves problems and how it values goodness or badness in the world. Mm, fascinating. 
So I know that one of the skill sets that, that you as a high performance coach and, and I also have is you use this amazing tool to help your clients double their income. So how have you found this mind scan to be able to, to predict that or show you the map as to how someone could double their income? So the, the assumption is everybody's doing the best they can with what they have to work with. And everybody is making the best decisions that they can from where they're standing. Um, if I was standing in your shoes, I would be making the same decisions you are. I would be looking at the world and seeing the same things you are, and it would be making the same sense to me. And, and that's where everybody's at. And, and because of that, we know that working harder isn't going to make a difference or it would have by now. And working smarter isn't going to make a difference or it would have by now. The thing that's actually going to make a difference is going to show up like a bad idea because if it made sense, you'd already be doing it. So when we take somebody's business, self-employed, entrepreneur, that kind of thing, they're already doing the best they can with what they have to do with. They're already trying to get things done. They're already trying to scale. They're already trying to be more efficient with their time. The thing is the way their mind is solving those problems was very effective at getting them to where they're at, but it's also the reason they're where they're at. And like Einstein said, you can't same, solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created it. So in order to go from where you're at to where you want to go, we have to get you out of your head. Um, and one of the ways we do that is mapping out your thinking patterns. Um, and be, by doing that, you're able to see why what made sense to you is the reason you always have more on your to-do list and you have time to get done. Um, for example, um, okay, like email. Um, for every, e email seems like this really efficient tool because you can answer something real quick. You can get a question done real quick or an answer real quick. But the thing is for every email you send, you get 1.2 emails back. Email doesn't get things done. Email actually creates more things to do. Um, similarly, when your belief system is action gets results, then if you want more results, you have to take more action. And so your mind is looking for more action to take. This is a way of thinking, a, a strategy that produces results in the world. And it's been very effective at getting to where you're at in your business. But if you want to go to the next level, if you want to experience a whole different way of life, the kind of life that you have seen other people experiencing, where the less they work, the more they make. It seems like they have the touch of gold. Um, it seems like they always have more than enough free time and always have more than enough revenue. If you want their life, then we have to step into their way of thinking. And what the, the mind scan does by mapping out how your mind is solving problems, we're able to celebrate your strengths. We're able to celebrate all the wonderful things that have gotten you here. And at the same time, we're able to see the opportunity for you to go to the next level. Um, you can't read the label from the inside of the jar. The mind scan allows us to get out of the jar so we can see what has been holding us up all this time. I love that metaphor. You can't see the label from the inside of the jar. That's, that, that, that's, a, that's a brilliant one. I love that. So why is it, because I know we're taught that 
it's a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of coaches will say, oh, it's not about working harder. It's about working smarter. <laughs> and, uh, and you're saying it's not even about working harder or smarter. It's about changing the way that you're thinking, period. Oh so or is, it, is that what you're saying or what, what, um, what instead so, <laughs> of working harder or smarter? Yes. Um, well, first off, uh, working harder uh, doesn't make a difference or it would have, would, would have by now. Um, exactly. Uh, working harder uh, is the reason people have more on their to-do list than they have time to get done. Working smarter is probably more insidiously deceptive than working harder. Um, working smarter is a truism. Uh, a truism are things that make sense on the surface, but the more you examine them, the more empty and useless they become. Mm -hmm. um, the reason working smarter is so insidiously deceptive is because the brain can only think of what already makes sense. So working smarter mm -hmm. just has you working harder at coming up with more ideas that already make sense. Um, it's just spinning the hamster wheel faster. It sounds like it should work. It really does, but you can't read the label from the inside of the bottle. Of the jar. You can't work smarter. Um, this is the same trap uh, that parents fall into where they praise their kids. Uh, I'm proud of you. You're so smart. The kids come mm -hmm. back with a good project or good grade. I'm so proud of you. You're so smart. Um, and the problem is uh, the kids can't be more smart. They can't be smarter and thus garner more love and affirmation. So they grow up to be instant quitters. If they uh, try a task and they can't do it perfectly the first time, they will never touch it again because their subconscious knows that it's going to cost them love and affection. However, uh, if they predict that they won't be able to get it right the first time, they won't even try it. Uh, the solution then is, I'm proud of you, you worked hard on that. Working hard is within our control. That's, that's effort. We can apply more effort and thus by applying more effort, the kid can garner more love and affection. Thus, when they grow up and they see something that they can't get right the first time, they'll still do it because they know that if they keep chipping away at it over time, eventually they'll crack that nut. Um, yeah. I don't even use um, worked hard or uh, praise my son for being smart. Um, ever since but when I was pregnant with him, we read, uh, I think, believe his name is Dr. John Medina's Brain Rules for Babies. And he said that that smartness and praising the kids for being smart is one of the greatest, it's exactly what you said, you're training them to be a quitter. Because smartness is now a part of their, being smart is now a part of their identity. And so if they're ever put in a situation where they're not sm feeling smart, where they're not feeling um, like they're they're the best or the smartest in the class, then they're actually either not going to try or they're going to have like a massive identity crisis. So instead, what, what we do is I praise my son for figuring it out. And Ooh. so, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Tenacious grit, stick to itiveness. Nice. Nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, we can't be smarter. And that's the trap of work smarter. Um, now, the intention, obviously, is um, think at a higher level, um, apply strategies that scale. Um, the thing is, what makes sense to the other person doesn't make sense to you, or you'd already be doing it. <laughs> um, yeah. 
And so how, how do we shift that? Is that through those mindset push-ups that you, you put your clients through, or is that something that we can do on our own? How, how do we pivot into not working smarter, but just completely thinking differently? A couple ways. Um, it is this thinking at a higher level business. Um, so one option obviously is you could just simply take the mind scan, get your thinking patterns mapped out. Now you know exactly where the blind spot is, is tripping you up, where the breakthrough is, it's waiting for you. The thing that will fundamentally shift your reality, take you to the next level, bam, it's right there. Go get them, Tiger. You have everything you need to get going. Um, there are a handful full of people though that um, for whatever reason, don't wanna have their thinking patterns mapped out. Okay, here are four things that you can do that will fundamentally shift your way of thinking and take your mind to a higher altitude so that we can get you out of the weeds where you're trying to run the corn maze faster and just put you on a ladder where you can see the whole picture and now there's no mystery to it. And here are the four things you can do. Uh, the first one is a champion. A champion is somebody in your life that is currently doing it. The problem is it's the water they swim in. So please do not ask the champion how they did it or how you can do it. Do not ask them for advice. That's a terrible idea. And the reason is this is how they've thought their whole life. They don't know any better. So anytime you ask for their advice, they're just gonna make up stuff that they think should make sense. This is like um, the person being interviewed, uh, what's the secret of your success, you know? And they say, oh, it's hard work. You just got a hard work. And they're leaving out the fact that their dad sits on the board of directors at Harvard. And when they graduated with this new spiffy idea, they had the phone call cell phones of 10 multi-million dollar investors just like that who wanted to garner favor with their dad. They leave that part out, not being malicious. It's just the water they swim in and they can't see what they can't see because it's been there the whole time. So when you have a champion in your life, rather than asking them how they did it or what you should do different, sit on the floor in their office, watch them take calls, take notes, and notice their way of being, how they're showing up in the world, notice their energy. And that will give you insight into thinking on their level. Michael Jordan, when he would finish a game and review the tape from the play, he wasn't reviewing looking for errors in play, technical play mistakes. He was reviewing looking for energy, ways of being. Okay, here he was playful. Here he was, um, here he was like angry. Here's, here he was like mad at somebody and trying to get back at them. Here he was um, open. Here he was experimental. He's looking for ways of being because that gave his mind access to a higher level of play. So that's the first one, champion. The second one, and you can have a champion in your life for free. You've got one in your network right now. It's just a matter of calling them up. Would watching someone who you believe, who, who shares a lot about their self and a lot about their life on like Instagram or social media, is that like a way to be involved in the energy of that champion without actually like being in it? Just curious in, in our social media world. Um, a very, very distant way. Um, mm -hmm. It will give you some insight. Uh, better insight would be for you to go stay at their house and sit on their floor and watch them run their company. Because from that vantage point, you'll see their energy, their way of being, how they solve problems. On the outside, you see the perfect Instagram filter or Facebook Live or whatever. On the inside, we've got like babies crying and throwing up and kids having to go to school and fight with their spouse or whatever it is. 
And that experience will cause your brain to go, oh my gosh, they're just like me, only they don't make excuses. Mm -hmm. Their life falls apart and they still publish. Something didn't work and they still get on Facebook and share what is working. That's the only difference. They yep. feel afraid and take action anyways. I feel afraid and then don't take action. That's the only difference. So your brain will have that realization by getting around them. Um, coach can't go to the Olympics unless you have a coach. Every athlete has a coach. The coaches are different in that they understand why the exercise produces the result that it does. Um, ways to find the coach obviously are by following their students who's getting results using their teaching. Um, ways to find the coach are by following their teaching, um, whether it's their podcast or their YouTube channel or their book. Um, and, you know, reading that and trying it out and then getting into the world for that one-on-one -on -one access. The coach is the second way. Um, the third way is community. The problem that most people make with community is that they enter a community of people who are like them wanting to do the thing. And that's just more of the same. You need to be in the community of people who are doing the thing, essentially a community of champions. The problem here, and this is also the same reason it works, is in order to get into that community, it's going to cost you something. It's either going to cost you an awful lot of money or like a high level mastermind, high level mastermind, or it's going to cost you an awful lot of results because you are the sum of the five people around you. If you do get into the community, you're not going to stay unless you become like them overnight and you stop making excuses and you start producing. You start publishing, even if you're afraid. You start writing the book, even if you don't have the answers because they won't put up with that. They won't relate to you and you won't relate to them and you'll just go back to your own ways. So it's going to cost you personally or it's going to cost you financially. Um, two of the main reasons that people don't do the thing that actually works, go figure. Um, the last thing is a crucible moment. A crucible moment is outside of your current reasoning. This is the uh, testing furnace uh, that absolutely destroys your way of being and forces it to rewire itself, a short circuit, Johnny Five, I'm Alive, in order to stay alive. Um, so for some people, this is like, maybe they've run a 5K and they think, oh God, there's no way I could run a marathon. Well, I'm not saying even run a marathon because if you've run a 5k, you've got enough friends in your life that have run marathons that you realize if you got off your lazy butt and actually went for a walk every day, you'd be able to run a marathon in a year. I'm talking a hundred miles, an ultra marathon. And the difference between a 5k and an ultra marathon is it's going to kill me. And along the ultra marathon, you're going to have several stops where your brain is completely convinced that one more step is going to rip the last ligament out of your knee and it's going to cause irreparable damage. And part of you is going to have to decide, do I want to honor my word and complete, or do I want to feel comfortable? And you'll take another step and realize it didn't kill you. It's just painful. 
and eventually you'll finish. And in that process, that furnace, your identity, the way you see yourself is forced to rewire itself in that moment. Champion, coach, community, or crucible, any of those things will also take your thinking to the next level. The fastest and easiest, just take the mind scan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, my crucible moment was definitely um, finding out I was pregnant because suddenly that was the identity that I wanted as a mother was not the one that I was living it back in 2016. And suddenly finding that out, I was like, holy crap, I've got to change. Like, and I immediately took action in ways that scared me that would have seemed risky. And then also during 24 hours of labor, um, there was a moment where I thought, why am I doing this naturally? Why don't I mean, I, it would be so easy to just like comfortably go over to the hospital across the street and, and do the thing and have them cut the baby out. And then I was like, no. And it was, it was, it was, I knew my son needed to be born naturally. I knew he wanted to be born without drugs. It was just, and it was my choice. And it was my moment where I just decided, and it was, it, yeah, it was, there was pain for sure. But there was also the moment of the realization of like, holy moly, if I can do this, then I, I, I can, I can build a business. Sure. <laughs> I can do anything after pushing this child out of me. So it's, it's those finding those, like for me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a kinesthete where I love like a good physical challenge. So finding those, like those next physical challenges are, are so rewarding for me because I do love that point where the, your body feels like it's going to die and then you continue on. Mm -hmm. the, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, it just, um, a great example of, of miniature crucible moments. Um, when somebody goes to a, a seminar or a workshop, uh, we do this a lot in the workshops I do, uh, but the fire walk or uh, the walking on broken glass, um, eating broken glass, uh, breaking an arrow with your neck, eating fire. Um, all of these are things you've had experience with your, your whole life. And, and you have personal experience that they burn and cut and they're very dangerous. Um, but you do it in that setting. And the instant you take like your first action, your first step on the fire or on the broken glass or whatever it is, your brain has this aha moment and you realize this isn't what I thought it was. And by the time you finish that process, you're stuck with what other areas of my life have I been telling myself a story based on one experience that might not be indicative of the whole experience. And that crucible moment kind of helps your mind to start thinking of new possibilities and allowing them to come into your life. So what was a crucible moment for you? Many crucible moments. Um, oh gosh, many, uh, I, I will tell one, I will tell one, uh, think if you will, of your arch nemesis fear. For many people, this might be like um, a fear of speaking in public. Um, this might be a fear of painting. They feel like they're not good enough to paint. Um, a fear of writing a book, feel like they don't have anything to say. Uh, their mind goes blank. Um, as an aside, um, some people don't know this, but um, Adolf Hitler had a full scholarship 
to go to art school. And um, we even have some of his paintings. Some of his paintings have survived and, and they're decent. It's decent work. You can see why he would have been on track to be a full ride art scholarship person. But he didn't end up going down that road, as we know. And the illustration there is that's the nature of facing the blank canvas, facing our true potential. It was easier for him to start World War II than it was for him to make another painting. Um, is, is a story there. Any, any which way. What so, a fascinating year of your own creation. Crazy, right? <laughs> um, so as you think of that fear, whatever it is for you, asking for a raise, quitting your job, whatever the, the fear is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about a fear that I had and what it was like facing that. And, and I'm hoping that as I tell the story, you'll be able to relate it to the thing that's been in, in your life that keeps popping up. So I was a classical musician and my entire classical music career, I was terrified of playing solos. Um, I had stage fright just as bad as anybody has it. Um, and it didn't matter how much I practiced or prepared and in many ways that almost made it worse. Uh, but when I would go to play a recital or a solo or an audition, um, I would be just out of my mind with anxiety and, and the whole thing, hyperventilating and, um, heart beating out of my chest and hands shaking and it's nearly impossible to play a viola or violin or any instrument really in that situation. And so it's like you've spent six months of your life practicing five hours a day for this one moment. And when the moment comes that it actually matters, nothing, because um, your body is all messed up, your mind's all messed up, feels like you're having this out-of-body experience. And it's so, um, I, don't, I don't know, it not, it's not like embarrassing, it's not humiliating, it's like it's beyond that. It's like exasperating. Um, it's just futile. And so I, I would leave um, that moment and like, I would want to sell my instrument and just quit and get out of music entirely. Because every time I would come to the moment that matters the most, I would, I would fail miserably. I, and I, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, did I really fail? Because people in the audience would say, oh, you did a great job. It was wonderful. No, no, no. I felt like I failed. Okay, this was not what I was capable of. This is not what I intended to communicate or share. It was a failure. And I felt hor so horrible that I never want to go through it again. But music being what it is, is kind of a mental illness. Um, and if you have it, you can't not do it. Um, it's like an addiction in that sense. Even if it destroys your life, you can't stop doing it. And so there I was. A part of me obviously loved music. And, and couldn't put down the idea of playing. So I kept, kept at it, kept playing. Um, one day, and by, you know, I've been doing this for decades at this point, um, I was on stage at the symphony and I had a solo coming up. And once I saw that solo coming up, man, that cycle kicked all over again. And the heartbeat and the mind racing and the out-of-body experience and the hand shaking. And I mean, I knew where this is gonna end up. It's the way it had ended up a hundred times before that. And this is where the story changes. And as you think in your own life about what that is, whether it's a conversation with your boss or a conversation with your spouse or finally writing the book or finally starting the camp for kids or 
whatever the thing is, and you keep avoiding it because I don't know, you're afraid or you don't feel like you're good enough or whatever the reason is. So that's where I was at. And it dawned on me this I'm on stage. I've got like 30 seconds. It dawned on me that I could take my own medicine. I could just practice what I preach. Up until that point, I had been teaching, giving workshops, speaking on the musical secrets of leadership, musical secrets of performance, productivity, all this stuff. But it had never dawned on me to apply what I was teaching in the corporate business world to my music world. So this is what I did. The principle here is the only reason you have the problems of you is because you haven't taken on a bigger problem. The only reason you don't have uh, enough money for your family is because you haven't taken on a bigger problem or enough health or enough energy uh, or enough time or enough relationship. The only reason you have the problem you're facing is because you're not up to something bigger in life. I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds incredibly inconsiderate as if, well, I don't understand your situation. Bear with me. Give me two minutes. I promise you'll feel different. So there I am on stage. And the only reason I am at the mercy of stage fright that is strangling the life out of me and guaranteeing the worst performance ever. And again, I'm going to want to quit. The only reason I'm going through that is because I'm not up to something bigger because I don't have something bigger to be up to. That is the truth, whether you want to face it or not. And I had been certainly avoiding the truth of facing it in my own life. And I was paying the price. So I look at the music, I, I, 30 seconds, this all happened just like that. This is me applying my own Kool-Aid or drinking your own Kool-Aid, whatever the analogy is. Um, and I go, why do I want to play this solo? Like, why do I want to share this passage of music with the audience? Why would I want to do that? Why do I care? Why do I care what they care? Why? And for whatever reason, that passage to me, for whatever reason, to me, that passage of music spoke of the felt experience of being loved for me. So I decided that I would be up to the business of my audience having the felt experience of being loved. I was going to take a stand for what was possible in their life. Now, up until this point, I was doing what everybody does. And I was doing the truisms, the things that seem like they should work, but they don't. I was trying to play my best. I was trying to not worry about it. I was trying to imagine the audience in their underwear. I was trying to eat a banana before I go on stage. I was trying to sleep with Never the heard that one. I was trying to be sure I'm prepared. <laughs> eat a banana before you go on stage. I've never heard that one. <laughs> uh, it's something, something about potassium levels and heart rhythms. And so I don't know. Some, uh, like all things, it doesn't work because it puts yep. the solution out you outside of you. And as long as the solution is outside of you, you're a perpetual victim. Um, so this was a new game. Um, and, and we can go into reason specifically why those things don't work, why doing your best doesn't work, why it, it we can go into that. But you know already it doesn't work. It's just that it makes sense that it should work. So you keep trying it. So here I am. And the first note of the solo comes. 
and my brain fires off the network. What if you miss this note? But I was up to a different game now. And I said, well, I, it doesn't matter if I miss the note because I'm about something different. I'm taking a stand for what's possible in my life. Specifically, I'm standing that my audience would have for the next eight measures or 16 or however long the solo was, I can't remember. Viola players don't get very long solos. Um, I'm standing for what's possible in my audience life that they would have the felt experience of being loved. This is a completely different game. So I play that note, then the next note comes. And you know, we're talking about milliseconds here that this conversation is going on in my head. Oh, this note's kind of hard. You might miss the shift. Uh, doesn't matter because I'm about taking a stand for what's possible in my audience's life that they would have the felt experience of being loved. Next note. Ah, this could be a little bit out of tune. Doesn't matter because I am taking a stand for what is possible in my audience's life with every single note I had to recommit myself to being about something bigger. This was really hard, namely because I'd never done it before. And two, because it's just hard. It is hard to put yourself out there and take on something bigger, especially when you feel like you have no idea how you're gonna pull it off. What happened at the end though, not only had I played my best under pressure, but I felt my best when it was over. I couldn't wait to do it again. And this was the real victory. This was the first time that the cycle of performance anxiety was broken and I was free. I didn't get free by trying to do my best. I got free by not caring and taking on something bigger, namely what was possible in my audience's life. Now, let me tell you what led to that moment though, this insight of the reason you're having the problems you are is because you haven't taken on something bigger. If you're having trouble with your teenage child, and that's ruining your life and you're worried about it and you're hurt over it and you're stressed over it and you're talking about it with your friends, stop trying to solve the problem of your relationship with your teenage child. Go on Facebook, announce to the world that you're writing the book on success with teenagers. It will be published in January. Start writing the book because now you're taking a stand for what's possible in the lives of all the parents that have the same problem. And that allows you to tap into a greater level of resourcefulness where you're allowing the answers to flow through you instead of come to you. People don't know this about Gandhi, but um, before Gandhi was the um, stupidly influential speaker, that spoke so profoundly that he united an entire nation that was divided in civil war four different ways, not two like we had over here, but four ways and, and a religious civil war on top of that, not like a government type thing. Um, before he was Gandhi, air quotes, uh, Mahatma was a lawyer in England. That's where he started. And he was a terrible lawyer. Um, on his first case, he fled the courtroom because he was terrified of speaking in public. His assistant had to close. On his second case, he went back to his client the night before, gave him back all his money, said, I can't represent you in good conscience because I'm terrified of speaking in public. So you got to wonder what happened that took him from terrified to speaking in public to the Gandhi that spoke so profoundly, he united an entire nation. Now, intuitively, intuitively, you know that he didn't 
uh, read an ebook on eBay on public speaking, or he didn't sign up for Tony Robbins' powerful public speaking course. Like intuitively, you know that because those things keep you in the world of dealing with it, only dealing with it more effectively. It's on the same level of, oh, just do your best. Oh, just imagine the audience in their underwear. Oh, just eat a banana, right? It just works harder. It just work harder. Um, the Gandhi that we know, obviously, the fear of speaking in public wasn't even, it didn't even exist in his world. It wasn't a thing. So here's what happened. Um, Gandhi left England as a failed lawyer and moved to South Africa to hang out his shingle. Maybe he'd have more success in law down there. And while he was in South Africa, he noticed that his, his people, his countrymen, were horribly oppressed. And Gandhi decided that he was going to be about the business of peace in India. There would be peace in India because he said so. Nobody asked him, nobody equipped him, nobody trained him, nobody gave him permission, he wasn't knighted. He just said, there will be peace in India because of my word, like this thing that doesn't even exist, but I'm going to create it and stand by it. And it will be so because his reason was simply because I said it will be. And that's all he did. He just kept standing and standing and standing and standing and standing and saying it would be and standing and standing and standing and standing, and standing until it was. And when you represent peace for an entire nation, speaking in front of a crowd of even 200,000 people doesn't even show up as a thing on your radar. They can throw tomatoes at you the whole time. You could care less because you're not there that they would like you. You're there that there would be peace for a nation. It's about something a lot bigger. So if you're struggling with your health or your weight or your relationship or your free time or your money, give up trying to fix it for yourself and fix it for everyone else who has the same problem. I promise you'll find a whole new way of living on the other side. Oh, I can tell you that that rings so true to what I discovered as one of the many breakthroughs I had during labor. When I was, um, I was six, 16, 18 hours in, severely dehydrated, struggling. And my doula said this one thing that changed how I thought about the entire experience. And she said, Kim, every contraction is just Declan working his way to get to you just as hard as you are to get to him. And I was like, suddenly I said, I've had 30 years of hard work and this is this little guy's first experience pushing and with challenge and with struggle. I'm going to cheer him on. Mm. And I started cheering mm. him on and I started mm. championing him. So every contraction became a giant cheer session where I was cheering him on every single time I felt that pain because I knew that he was pushing just as hard as I was. Hmm. And that, that sped up labor, that sped up everything. And I've taken that into so many other areas. When, when, when I see a client who's struggling, I'm like, who in your industry, who is doing better than you, or who is also struggling, can you cheer on to then, to then help them rise so that you put it beyond yourself? I mean, that's what I, I am also hearing from your story at the symphony is you, you took that attention off of oh, this, this is me, 
like my fear, my anxiety, my sweaty palms and shaky mm-hmm. hands onto this is for service. This is for the audience. This is for, mm-hmm. this is for something greater than just your own self. Yeah. Had a lady um, backstage one time at a TEDx event and uh, she's backstage in the throes of uh, stage fright and sucks. It's no fun for her. And if people would tell the truth, it's no fun for the audience either. It's no fun watching somebody die on stage. And um, so people come by with well-meaning motherly advice that sounds like it should matter. Sounds like it should help, but it's just a truism. And they left and I asked her, why, why do you want to share this story with the audience? Like, you know, what brought you to the TEDx stage? Why do you want to tell the story? And she said, because when this happened to me, I felt delighted. And, and immediately her face lights up. She's already in a completely different state of mind. And I say, how do you want your audience to feel while you are telling them this story? And she goes, oh, I want them to feel delighted too. And her face lights up even more. And she's in a completely different mindset than she was. Before she was thinking and worrying about what if I forget something? What if I make a mistake? What if I slip and fall? What if I look foolish? What if I don't get the words right? Now she's thinking about what's possible in her audience's life and how does she want them to feel? Now the illusion was if I get the words right, if I don't make any mistakes, if I don't slip and fall, it will cause them. And this is the illusion, the lie that we tell ourselves. If it's perfect, then I'll give myself permission to feel. If it's perfect, it will cause them to feel, but that's not how life works. So now she's in this state, remembering how she felt when it happened to her, remembering how she wants her audience to feel, regardless of this air quotes, perfect script that she's prepared and practiced. So then the third question is, could you give yourself permission to feel delighted now without giving the perfect speech, just to feel delighted without a reason, without a grown-up rational sounding excuse as to why you deserve to feel delighted, just to feel delighted for no reason. Could you, she's like, yeah, I suppose I could like, te- like technically it's possible to give myself permission to feel without a grown-up sounding reason. So, okay. Would you do that though? Like, is that, is that in your wheelhouse? Are you crazy like that? She's like, yeah, I suppose that is the kind of thing that I would do. And then the last question is simply when now she's going out on stage, sharing an experience with her audience engaged in a real time conversation with them. And she's, of course, performing better than she could possibly imagine because she's given herself permission to feel the very thing that makes it possible instead of hiding from the illusion of perfection, believing that on the other side of it, there exists a new world and there is no perfection. So there is no new world. I love that. Jared, I have loved our conversation. I would love to get into a little bit of rapid fire to wrap this up. Okay. All right. 
Who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Katniss Everdeen, Hunger Games. Why? Because she did not have the resources. She didn't have the skill. All she had was a willingness to be available. What woman would you want to trade places for with just for a day? Like to live in their body, to be in their mind. Who would that be? Okay, I was first going to say Michelle Obama, but then I realized what life is like when you are at that level of popularity and I do not want that life. Um, so no, not Michelle Obama. Um, but dang it, maybe I might take it back. My illusion, my impression is that Michelle Obama's life experience is very different from Angela Merkel's. Angela Merkel goes grocery shopping for herself. The way they do high politics is very different from the way we do in the US. If my illusion is correct, then I would like to be in her body because I believe the way Angela Merkel thinks about solving problems is worth experiencing for a day. Awesome. What would you define to be your kingdom? My kingdom? My kingdom is my relationship with my son, um, which is very different from the way I hear other parents describe their relationship with their son. Um, but that is my kingdom, and I work very hard to protect it. If you were to have had your success twice as fast, what would you have done differently? Um, I would have practiced in high school, practiced the viola. Um, I waste, squandered my youth playing pool. Granted, I'm a pretty good pool player, but um, I would have simply practiced. <laughs> Do you play pool now with your son? I don't. I haven't <laughs> played pool since I was in college. <laughs> And lastly, Jared, how do you crown yourself? If I was crowned a title, it would be the seer. Uh, because I'm able to see the thing inside you that you haven't been able to see yet and see it in a way that makes it possible for you to see it too. Beautiful. Jared, how... Can we find you? How can we work with you? Where can we take the mind map? Um, the cool thing about that is you don't even have to be a client of mine. You can just take it for yourself. Don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. Be skeptical. Try it for yourself. See if it makes sense in your world. You can just go to mindsetperformance.co. If you want to learn more about the mind scan, uh, you can download a sample report if you're super skeptical. Uh, money-back guarantee, like you've got nothing to lose, just try it out. Uh, if you want to learn more about the mindset push-ups and the difference it makes in somebody's thinking and success in life, uh, you can get the executive summary for my book there. Uh, if you want to join me in this conversation and um, learn more about the stories and illustrations and if part of these stories and illustrations have resonated with you and you have enjoyed that feeling, um, you can join the podcast all available at mindsetperformance.co. And we will have all the links to all the things down below in the description. As always, my fellow sovereigns, 
own your throne, mind your business, because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.